When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, good morning if you're listening to this as the podcast, it is Monday evening and of course my name is Rory, it's time for the Anglo-Italian podcast and I'm joined by my very good friends, we have Adam and Ben, welcome everyone. Hey, alright boys, how are we doing? I'm going to start with you Ben, how are we doing? Good weekend? Pretty good weekend, alright? <laughs> good week. Yeah, good weekend, I was in obviously in Manchester for the football, uh, for the game yesterday, United Spurs, uh, it was good, good weekend. You know, felt like maybe a little bit of a missed opportunity, but it was a it was a good game and a good performance and a good weekend as well, nonetheless. Uh, it's always good being up north. It's just better up north. Adam, yeah, how are we doing, man? More friendly. <laughs> <laughs> you may tell I'm a bit nasal because I am a bit unwell, but I've persevered. I'm still on the pod. I'm still doing it. So giving my all, I haven't got my limbs just yet. So. We're all good on that front. But yeah, unfortunately, Wickham couldn't get that decisive three points this weekend. Last kick of the game even. And uh, yeah, it's a draw. So points shared. I'll have to kind of begrudgingly accept that and uh, move on to the next game. But Rory, how are things in Milan as well? Um, all good. It's my favourite time of every other year as AFCON started. So this weekend, I've been sat watching a lot of AFCON. I absolutely love that tournament. It's not been too crazy so far, but we've had some upsets. Cape Verde in particular. Um, beating Ghana was an absolutely massive result. Like Ghana, people weren't expecting much from, and they lived exactly up to expectations. When you see the um, IU brothers getting wheeled out off the bench towards the end of the game, you're like, yeah, maybe Ghanaian football isn't in its best spot at the minute. But, of course, we spent a lot of time watching the Premier League in Serie A as well, and there was a lot to talk about. Even though only half the teams did play in the Premier League, there was a lot of action. Um, so we're today we're going to be talking about Events at Old Trafford. We're going to be talking about up in the northeast, Newcastle versus Man City and the terrifying return of Kevin De Bruyne. We'll be talking about basement battles as Burnley take a, took on Luton. And in Serie A, of course, Inter impressed again. Milan kept purely in a job for one more week and Napoli <laughs> rescued it at the death. So lots to talk about. But let's start in the Premier League. And we're going to start, Ben, seeming as you were our man on the ground... Um, you were in the stadium. Let's start with United and Spurs were even on the scoreboard, but probably not in the play. What were your reflections on the game? Kind of, uh, coming out of the ground, it kind of my thoughts on United came more to the surface than Spurs initially because I was, you know, pleased with the performance from from Spurs in terms of what we put in. But walking away from the ground and meeting back up with a mate who we went to the game with who was a United fan and sort of meeting up afterwards. And it was just like thinking about that. And it was just worried. I'm, I would be worried if I was a United fan. And I, obviously we've been saying that for weeks and months, kind of going back to the start of the season, really. But 
that performance yesterday was maybe one of the worst I think they've put in, despite the fact they actually showed real quality in a couple of moments for the goals. And obviously, they've been very reliant on individual quality in moments to get them through. They've kind of been described as that moments team. And I think that was more applicable than ever yesterday. But the kind of disparity between that and the performance was one of the biggest golfs I think I've seen from them this season. It was so poor. The atmosphere was so flat from United as well. Like mm-hmm. when I've been up to Old Trafford before and, you know, when you kind of see it, uh, listen on the TV and things like that, you always feel like United fans kind of get behind the team no matter what the situation. But I think they feel, it feels like a lot of United fans have almost just given up a little bit with Ten Hag because the atmosphere was incredibly flat in the ground. A lot of people have said to me, like, all you could hear on the TV was the Tottenham fans. And mm-hmm. that yeah, kind yeah. of exactly shows mm-hmm. where we are compared to where they are, obviously, both kind of in rebuilds. But we are so behind our manager in terms of what we're doing because it's all just laid out in front of us. It's just so clear for Spurs in terms of the way that we play. And I think that was once again evident yesterday with five or six players still missing. Kulusevski taken ill the day of the game. There's been a bit of a bug that's kind of swept around Tottenham this week. Um, Skip and Adogi were affected as well, but it didn't affect them in their performance. Um, Obviously, I thought when the team... When the team just came out, I was worried because it just looked like our midfield was a little bit too combative and almost too industrious. And there wasn't right. kind of that player in there that was going to maybe provide that kind of creative catalyst or be the kind of creative spark. Um, whether that be Kulusevski, obviously it's too soon for Madison, but he should be back in for the next game. Um, and obviously missing Son and kind of the excitement around Werner's debut and stuff like that as well. But I think the most important thing was to have that back four back that we started the Chelsea game with and haven't seen since. Um, and despite kind of obviously, I think a lot has been said about uh, top the two goals that Spurs conceded about you know maybe leaving too much space in behind, kind of playing into United's hands. I think that's just the way we play, and I know we've kind of said that throughout the whole season. It's just and just said it's just who we are, mate. It's just what we're going to do. You can, you know, it's just that that is kind of in actual fact. It's just exactly kind of what we do. It wasn't bad defending, it was just that United exploited the gaps that we left them. Could have done a little bit better, maybe a little bit too tentative around the box when it got in there, but it's kind of par for the course. Sometimes those are the sort of goals that Spurs are going to maybe concede against these kind of teams. And like I said, it points towards those kind of individual moments and quality from United. They do have that, but other than that, they offered absolutely nothing in the game. And it was complete domination from Spurs with the ball, just asserted ourselves on the game, played out of United's press so easily, half-hearted press, I might add, but <laughs> they just like, it was it was so easy to kind of like, if you, there was only one, I can't tweet it out after, after the game, there was only one team playing any football at Old Trafford yeah. yesterday, and it was Tottenham. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I was a little bit disappointed about the result, but I think when you put it into the context of the players that we had missing, if we'd had one of Son, Madison, Kulusevski, or even maybe Lacelso as kind of maybe a more penetrative, creative midfielder in there, we we would have battered them. I'm convinced yeah. we would have absolutely pulled their pants down because they just don't. There's no. Oh, I, I don't know where you even start with United. No, there's there's just no inspiration, is there? There's no like. I think and a damning indictment this week for Man United is the fact that Sancho has arrived at Dortmund and just looked like he's <laughs> yeah. escaped and he's escaped domestic abuse. Like he looks like he's escaped yeah. an abusive relationship, and now man. he's like in his flourishing single period. Like, and you just think the the atmosphere at that stadium must at the club is just absolutely horrific. I think before we go in on United, there was two players that really stood out for me for Spurs. I think Bentancur is a player that I've never really paid that much attention to. I remember watching a bit of him in Serie A, but he's really 
hit in his stride and you can see how much of a difference he makes mm. to Spurs. I think everything you created, not just the goal, obviously, but everything you created kind of came through him. He was the central point for everything. Um, so I think he was absolutely fantastic. But I also think Adoji did such a good job against Garnacho. Mm. Like Garnacho is, as I don't like him, but he's a very aggressive player. He's very dangerous. If he, if he cuts inside, he's going to give, give mm. you problems. But by the end of the game, I think he was switched out to the left flank because yeah. I think I remember seeing him put a ball in from the left because he was just getting nothing out of a dodgy. Like, I'm, I'm going to let you go off on Benton Kerr, really, because I think Spurs have been beating the drum on him for a bit and I think the rest of the league have been ignoring it. Arsenal yeah. fans have been denying that he's any good, but I think I have to accept <laughs> that he's pretty good. Yeah, I've been fighting this battle for so, so long and I'm finally kind of reaping the rewards from it. It's just like <laughs> last season with Benton Kerr, he was our best player. Until mm. he got injured, until he had that horrific ACL injury at Leicester. Obviously, Harry Kane, I mean, that kind of goes without saying. He's kind of, by default, Spurs' his best player. But Benton Core last season, up until that injury, got us out of so many situations, whether it was through goals. He popped up with so many little last-minute winners here and there as well. Like, he's just... Me and like my mates who I go to Spurs with, we were saying that, on the kind of have said all season, that it's almost like, or, or ever since he arrived, sorry, it's like watching Berbatov in central midfield, but Berbatov, right. who actually kind of has an, an engine and that yeah. kind of the ability to just sort of do everything as a midfielder, because you can play him as a six, you can play him as an eight, you could probably play him as maybe the more advanced midfielder as well, mm. although he's probably least suited to that. Um, and that's why when Basuma went away to AFCON, I wasn't too worried because I do think Bentacor, when he's fully up to it, can be that combative midfielder that's mm. going to win the ball back. He's not, you know, he's not a big tackler. He's not going to fly yeah. into challenges. He's not that imposing as a central midfielder, but he just uses his body so well and he's so clever in terms of winning the ball back. But also he's got the quality and the kind of ballerina feet, nimble feet, like the agility to get out of certain situations as well and be so composed on the ball. I've never looked, seen a player since Moussa Dembele that looks like he's playing five-a-side in the Premier League. It's just that he just he has that just composure all across the pitch. And I was so pleased for him when he got his goal yesterday. Again, United... I don't know what it is. We've not been able to track runners into the box, but that was just absolutely yeah. criminal. Um, it was an amazing pass from Romero out from the back to kind of just completely take out their forward line and um, midfield as well. And obviously the work was done from Skip and Werner, but Benton Core can be that just sort of box-to-box midfielder arriving late and the composure that he showed in the box. I know it, Anana didn't cover himself in glory, but it just made it seem like he had so much time and mm. just rifled it into the net. But he was absolutely brilliant. I thought all of Spurs' midfield was great. I was a bit worried before the game, but I thought Skip did really well. I thought Hoybier, it was almost like he's playing for a move. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and that but that was some audition. He was brilliant. He was fantastic mm. for Spurs. Again, sometimes in moments looks very clumsy and that's kind of the worst of him. But overall he was excellent. But Benton Cost stood out by a mile. Um Adogi and Poro I thought were brilliant. Yeah. It wasn't something unnecessarily with Poro it was one of those ones because I think we've been so used to seeing that level of performance from him now this season. Mm. He wasn't kind of in my immediate thought after the game. Um, and I did, uh, after the game yesterday, I did I jumped on a Twitter space to kind of talk about Tottenham and review the game. And there was a lot of people on there who were either United fans or neutrals that were sort of saying, well, almost like, what about Porro? What about Porro? And it was kind of just like, it was one of those ones when you see it back and then you see moments and you sort of think back to what the bits that he did in the game and how crucial he is in terms of the way that Spurs build mm -hmm. out, how he tucks into midfield, then the quality of passing that he's got. He kind of operates a little bit further forward than Adogi when the fullbacks invert, so he has license in that final third mm -hmm. to be really creative and kind of um, pose a real threat. 
But it was, and and Adoki is great at that as well. But his defensive ability yesterday was something that really, really stood out. And it was something that has kind of gone quietly under the radar this season. I think people would largely accept that he's probably been the best left back in the league, which is incredible in his debut season mm-hmm. at such a young age, coming from the Serie A, um, where it doesn't always work out for Premier League players. Obviously, Tottenham have got a very good track record from buying from Serie A since Paratici has come to the club and all that kind of thing. Um, but it was, you know, that wasn't kind of the area that we necessarily thought that he was going to stand out in. It was about what he did on the ball. And obviously, we saw a lot of that yesterday. But defensively, he completely locked up Garnacho. Mm-hmm. Garnacho didn't get any change out of him whatsoever. Yeah. And like you mentioned, they moved him over to the left to try and something new. That didn't work. Um, he didn't get any, any change out of Poro either on that side. And I think, again, like, jumping back to Poro just quickly, he... People, like I said, people talk a lot about his defending. Obviously, he left space in behind. But Rashford, I think he got past him twice. He ran at him quite a bit in the first half. Mm. It was probably the most direct we've seen Rashford. But in the second half, he got absolutely nothing out of mm. him. Again, a brilliant performance from both fullbacks. But yeah, I'd agree with you. I think those were the two players that probably stood out. I think Richarlison certainly deserves a mention as well. I thought he was excellent. He was superb. Like He took his goal really well. He, could, he deserved that goal. I think the way that he's kind of come back and responded to you know he's obviously been very open about his struggles with mental health and kind of getting that off of his chest and obviously had the surgery that's kind of been holding back for a while and he looks like such a freer player now he's so important to what um to the way he he, yesterday he just posed like a proper a proper kind of target man threat but also just a presence and an out ball for spurs Mm -hmm. his link up play was very very good the way he wins the ball back as well there were so many times where Mm. it's not not just yesterday but in recent weeks but as an example, yesterday, a United player was caught on the ball in midfield and it's him that's kind of running back from the central striker position to come back and almost pick the pocket of yeah, the yeah. defender or center, mm. uh, central midfielder to then set Spurs on attacks. His work rate has never been questioned once by any fan of Spurs. It's just been that ability in front of goal, mm. but he seems to have just got all put all of that behind him now and he's just had a very quietly almost an excellent season and I hope hopefully more to come in the second half of the season. But yeah. I could talk about Bentancourt yeah. all day. I'm going to have to stop you there. I apologize. Um, but no, I think Richarlison getting six goals in six now, is it? Is absolutely yeah. mental. And it, like the, a, a confident Richarlison is always a great player. Um, it'll be good to see if he can keep it consistent because um, he can be a bit streaky. It'll be interesting yeah. to see if he can keep it consistent, but encouraging signs from him. Adam, for Manchester United, <clears throat> sorry, um, before the game, everyone was talking about they've got the 20th worst, well, the bottom conversion rate in yeah. terms of chances in the Premier League, right? Well, yesterday they converted the two chances that they created from what they I did. Guess. Yeah. So there's the one silver lining for Manchester United that their conversion rate has gone has gone up. Um, the one player that impressed me, I think I said it in my match review, was Dallow. I think he's the only player that I thought... He's playing very well, and he's quite unsung at United, I think. Um, Were there any positive signs for United out of that performance, do you think? And is this just... I'm sick of talking about Ten Hag, but is this just more contrast when you look at Big Ange and Ten Hag? Is this just another contrast for Ten Hag? Mm. There is an element that this is going to be a bit of contrast game in that respect because Tottenham is on a different trajectory to Man United in that respect. I felt 
even though we're, we're going to slate United, I felt that was one of their more positive performances and it felt like it was more built on vibes. Like it seemed to be like there was a bit more of a positive atmosphere. And, mm-hmm. you know, normally when they go like a goal behind, for example, then it becomes a bit more of a dour atmosphere. And I know Ben's alluded to the fact that the atmosphere was non-existent. I heard it on TV. It wasn't really there, to be fair. Um, but it didn't feel like there was any kind of massive pressure on them from the fans from that perspective. And I don't know if that was because of the Jim Radcliffe element, you know, being there alongside Fergie, watching this game as well. Um, But yeah, I felt, although they didn't offer too much against Spurs, I felt that when they were direct against them, they looked dangerous at times. And, you know, we've kind of alluded to the likes of Garnacho. I feel like he needs to cut out those things like trying to get that penalty, for example, against a dodgy. If he doesn't do that, I think there's a better of chance of him creating an opportunity or potentially scoring himself, for example. So mm-hmm. hopefully he doesn't kind of follow Bruno Fernandes in that kind of style of play, because that's how he seems to mimic at the moment. He kind of is confrontational demands to be like given a yellow card or at least a penalty against him. I was surprised he didn't actually get a yellow card because it wasn't just that incident. There was another incident in the second half where he mm. clearly goes looking for another foul and it doesn't happen. And again, you thinking, right ref, that's at least three times I've seen him trying to get something out of this game. Um, they seems fairly solid in the midfield as well, I'd say. Um, but I think obviously Ericsson came off around the 60th minute mark, which was to get some fresh legs. And obviously Spurs couldn't really do that because of the quality they had on the bench. So there was an opportunity there for United to exploit that. And I felt like obviously down the wings, that was the perfect opportunity because they were a bit more narrow. And this is Spurs I'm talking about with that free mm-hmm. midfield. Um, but... They didn't really do much, as Ben alluded to nicely. You know, both fullbacks did really well, especially when uh, Dragerson came into the middle to shore it up a bit more towards the last five to ten minutes. Spurs looks comfortable, even though they weren't necessarily with their full squad. They mm-hmm. seemed really easy, at, or at ease, should I say, with this match. So I, I think there's a few question marks. And I think, to your phrase, Rory, get at the ball, look... Man United were get atable, especially at the It might be the most I mean, get atable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Romero should have easily scored a second before half time as well, to yeah. be fair. So we do just, yeah. we do also have to say McTominay missed two chances towards the end where I thought maybe the the header was unlucky, but I think the one where he drags it wide of the post was a really, yeah. really good chance. So I think there was the opportunity there for United to just nick it at the end. But I think you're right when you talk about Old Trafford. Old Trafford in 10 years ago, like with the cliche is like, you know, the Stratford end sucks the ball into the net, if you know what I mean. Like, I feel like that kind of happens. Whereas there, they're, what, they're just like Ben said at the beginning, there just wasn't that expectation. There was just like, let's see what we get out of this. If we get a point out of this, none of us will complain and we'll just leave quietly. And I think it was, yeah, just really, really uninspiring. I thought Bruno Fernandes had some good moments. Um, I thought he like the pass in particular for Rashford. No, for the first goal, was it, where he yeah. puts the ball through to Rashford, mm-hmm. yeah. um, is an unbelievable pass. And he had some really great moments there. But I think, yeah, it was just so, so uninspired from United. I think now it'll be interesting with Jim Ratcliffe officially being in the club. Um, 
whether Ten Hag does actually have time because we've said before that we the only reason, or I've said before, the only reason I think he's still in the job is because they're not going to sack him until the takeover happens because yeah. the Glazers don't want to pay off his contract, right? <laughs> well, now it would be under Ratcliffe's reign to pay it off. So it would be interesting to see how long he does get, whether they just give him to the end of the season or how bad things have to get because they're now nine points off the top four, is it? Let's double check. Um, they are eight points off the top four, Eight points off fifth, so they're really not looking like Europe at all this year. And I think, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much time they give him. Ben, do you, do you expect Eric Ten Hag to see out the season? I think he. Funny enough, I was talking about this a couple of hours ago. I, I feel like, I feel like he might see out the season, but I'm not sure how much longer beyond that because. I saw um, someone, another content creator, say earlier that, and he was a United fan, basically said that every kind of excuse or that people have given Ten Hag, Postacoglu has kind of disproven that through mm. with Spurs this season. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, even yesterday, like you touched on the penalty there, Ten Hag made a point about that after the game. And it's just like, you're never, it just feels like you're never going to get anywhere under Ten Hag because he's always looking to blame something. It's very rare that he kind of takes any responsibility of the failings of the team. You're kind of constantly looking for excuses in terms of, well, we should have had this really soft penalty or this didn't quite go away or this and that and this and that. You know, Postacoglu has hardly moaned about any injuries or anything like that this season, whereas Ten Hag kind of drops it in at every opportunity. And I just feel like at a club, the stature of Manchester United, to kind of have that sort of mentality where you're always almost like creating this kind of self-victimization of one of the biggest institutions in kind of Premier League football or football history... It just feels a little bit, it just feels a bit sad and it feels very, very mm-hmm. flat at United at the moment. Like I said, the atmosphere, so it was, I wouldn't say turgid, but it was just very flat. Again, like yeah. for want of a better word, it was, just, it was just that. And I think people, it's almost just like United fans have kind of accepted that this is another one of those kind of rebuild situations that hasn't really worked for them, despite the fact that I think it's probably shown the most promise out of all of them, maybe in its first season. It's just not going to work out. I just mm-hmm. don't think... <clears throat> I don't think he's got. Uh, you, there's no. There was an interesting graphic of comparing Tottenham's passing network map to United's passing network map from the game yesterday. And it was just like both teams. You can clearly see exactly the way they're trying to play. But with United, despite the fact that we've said they've got no philosophy, you can clearly see what they're trying to do because they're mm-hmm. trying to rely on the individual yeah. brilliance of these players. It's like it was. All, all, any opportunity trying to feed the ball into Fernandez to play that glory ball over the top in behind to Rashford. And it worked for the first goal. It was a brilliant pass straight right into his feet. But you're not going to get away with that in every single mm. game. And obviously, top, the way mm. Tottenham play kind of plays into your hands. So they kind of met a good match, I suppose, for them in, in that aspect. But I just don't think anyone, you know, like you said about the Stretford end, that was kind of like they, it was always that thing of they want to suck the ball into that. You kind of always feared about going to Old Trafford. I don't think anyone fears going no. to Old Trafford anymore. And I certainly don't think anyone fears playing Eric Ten Hag's teams. I, I think he lacks the charisma as well to be a top yeah, Premier I League think, manager. Yeah, he doesn't have that force of personality, does he? He doesn't seem to have that kind of, I don't know, it, it, we've talked about him before. It, look, it, it always looks like things happen to him and he just has no yeah, control yeah. to stop it from happening yeah. to him. And it just feels like he's just stood there waiting for it. But we're going to leave that game there. Um, I think, yeah, dropped points for Spurs. Unfor- unfortunately for you, dropped points for Spurs. I was delighted with the draw, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, but let's move on to the next one and we'll go for... The Oil Classico as Kevin De Bruyne returns and all of a sudden the fun 
is over, Adam. Fun's over. That's it. <laughs> yeah. We can all go home. Kevin De Bruyne is just going to win the Premier League on his own. <laughs> I did say this. I said this on Thursday, didn't I? I said he's going to come back and he's going to push them up. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, he even talks about how he knew Fabian Scher was going to be making himself big for that very moment and he knew where to place it. It's, apparently, this was something that they discussed already pre, pre-match. So it was like they knew these kind of little scenarios. But I think they were... You know, obviously the first 10 minutes kind of changed the mentality of how they approached it because they weren't mm-hmm. expecting maybe the gung-ho approach from Newcastle. Obviously, the aspect to Edison as well probably threw them off a bit. But after that, they kind of settled thereafter. I know it was two worldly goals from Newcastle's point of view as well, I would say. Um, and they did the <clears throat> typical Newcastle thing, didn't they, really, where they just went at them, didn't give them enough time to really settle in. I think the problem we've got is that they seem to tire out after around 50 to 60 minutes of doing that constantly. And they've done this before. Like, I think the signs were very obvious in that Milan match in the Champions League where they kind of did very much the same approach. And it doesn't feel like Howe's kind of refines how they go about that process. And it's good to have this intensity, but go on. No, sorry to jump in. I also think you have to turn around and say, like injuries are absolutely battering them. And I think their season, the the fact is like their season has kind of been like that. Like their Champions League group, they started on fire and then faded. Like most games, they start on fire and then fade because they've just got no depth. (laughs) Like the players just get knackered and they're having to start the same 11 each time. Like, do you think that's, that's basically not only how, but that's how Man City got back into this game, right? Or it definitely helped. It, it definitely helped, but all I was going to also allude to is Eddie Howe had that same criticism at Bournemouth where they kind of mm-hmm. stick to their principles around the playing style and the philosophy. And it, it felt like he, there was a point right when he first joined Newcastle that people wrote him off as someone that can't grind out results. And he proved that in that kind of first part of that season when he kept them up and he thought he would kind of progress that a bit more and by all accounts he's kind of gone to see Diego Simeone at Atletico to see how he grinds out results and that's a contrast from the with different stars yeah. definitely yeah. Um, but you kind of expected him to maybe have gone right lads we're going to go gung-ho first half but then second half we're just going to battle yeah, yeah. battle to keep like at least them at a kind of reach away from us um, but I think also, like you alluded to, the quality did kind of count in the end. Mm-hmm. And when you're able to bring someone like De Bruyne off the bench to kind of help and assist your team, that that's a embarrassing kind of rich mm-hmm. richness, should I say. Yeah. And, you know, Newcastle want to get to that stage, but they can't right now. So, I, uh, yeah, it's it's. I think that was the telling point of this match mm-hmm. and it kind of decided how this match went as well. There's a lot of FFP talk at the moment, isn't there? Newcastle fans <laughs> are getting very upset. But Ben, before we talk about uh, Man City and how terrified we should all be, for Newcastle, that's now four losses in a row in the Premier League. They are now 10th. Um, if Wolves win their game in hand and if Bournemouth win their two games in hand, Newcastle could go down to 12th. Um, this could massively look like a season of, like, no Europe for Newcastle next year. Obviously, I think the injuries would have to be taken into account, but do you think that this new Newcastle board will have patience with Eddie Howe? I feel like we're only talking about Sackins, but, you know, I feel like he might be running out of time. It's tricky. Uh, I think he's got probably, I think he's got more time than Ten Hag, but I think it's Mm -hmm. because of the credit in the bank and what he has actually done. And obviously, like you said, (coughs) excuse me, like injuries 
do have to be taken into account because they have been incredibly disruptive to Newcastle season. But they've also been incredibly disruptive to a lot of other team seasons as well. This is kind of this whole season as a whole has yeah. been pretty unprecedented in terms of the amount of players that we've seen with hamstring injuries, with ACL injuries, all that kind of stuff. It's been unfortunate for teams largely across the board. More teams, than other, like some teams more than others have been affected. Obviously, Man United, again, you could kind of yeah. give Ten Hag that excuse if you wanted to as well. I know we touched on Ten Hag making excuses, but I do think that is some at some point a valid one. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's valid for Newcastle as well. The only thing is with Newcastle is that, and again, I don't want to kind of bring this back to Tottenham, but I kind of feel like with the and it's sort of the same with United as well like when they lose their key players you do kind of lose sight of what they're actually trying to do on the pitch it kind of feels all very disjointed whereas with one thing I've been really proud of with Tottenham is that we've played exactly the same and mm-hmm. tried to play in exactly the same style with key players missing that are really crucial to that system whereas Newcastle I don't think they've been able to do that maybe that's just down to the quality of the players that they do have available when those players are missing but that could also be down to coaching now I'm not sure but it's tricky because I don't think we've ever seen kind of this level of almost like a it's harsh to call it a fall off because there have been a lot of kind of um, determined uh, kind of circumstances that have played part but you know it's rare that you see a team qualify for the Champions League in kind of the style that they did they were fairly comfortably in the top four last year people many people thought they would get there towards the end of the season obviously they were fighting a relegation battle the season before that momentum kind of was with them from the second half of the season before they were the, arguably the most informed team for a calendar year period it's very rare especially with the investment that they have kind of put in in the summer and obviously they do have to be careful with their FP so yeah. they probably haven't gone as big as they could have gone for sure but they still did make quite some smart signings. They spent a bit, fair bit of money. Obviously, they've been unlucky with Harvey Barnes. Mm-hmm. You know, you could say they've been unlucky with Tonali as well, but that's obviously a very different situation. Um, so, that, you know, their fans kind of feel the right to be, almost feel unlucky about that, maybe other than some decision-making in the club. But it's it's rare that you kind of see a team almost have that momentum, qualify for the Champions League, and then drop down this this badly. Obviously, mm-hmm. kind of, you can sort of a bit similar to what Leicester did, but Leicester was it's obviously usually Chelsea. About, if anybody does yeah, it, to be honest, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then Chelsea almost like send like a it's always like a blip for Chelsea, and then they're back. Yeah, but yeah, obviously, yeah. we've seen the yeah. last couple of years, it's been, I mean, mediocrity. But with mm-hmm. Newcastle, I don't, I don't know. I I feel like they'll be patient with ten uh, mm-hmm. with Eddie Howe, sorry, just because of the credit he's got in the bank, and also because w- what managers are available that. Yeah, yeah they could go and get it's sort of the same with United really it's like yeah. there aren't the manager market at the moment isn't exactly the most uh Conte 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 in Newcastle let's start it here I would I'll just like someone else can feel my pain for like 18 months before he inevitably just fucks off from there as well like but I, it's yeah I don't know I don't know who they could go and get and also yeah. like the only difference between Newcastle and United is the fact that like if they were to lure a manager away from a from a club where he's already in place that's a far more attractive proposition than it is from United so they're kind of ahead right. in that aspect mm-hmm. even though they're almost in similar situations but like you said that's not I didn't realize that I knew they were where they were in the table obviously but I didn't realize that it could get that bad where they could drop down to mm-hmm. 12th and obviously Wolves and Bournemouth had good seasons and obviously the league is incredibly competitive so it's not it's not 
you know, that I suppose has to be taken into account as well. But it's not yeah, yeah. doesn't make great reading for Newcastle at the moment. No, it's it was a lot worse than I thought it was. Honestly, and when I was looking at the yeah. table today, I was like, God damn, that is actually a pretty big drop off, as you said. No one's really but, talking about it though either. No. Like I feel like if it was another club, like if it was United or Chelsea or Tottenham or Arsenal, certainly there'll be a way more being made out of it than if it's Newcastle. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I think the spin on they get on Sky Sports is a whole different podcast. I think, but <laughs> yeah. um, Adam, we, we we we've delayed it long enough. We need to talk about Manchester City. What blew my mind <laughs> is just how quickly De Bruyne came back to like absolute world class. It took him <laughs> 0.5 seconds. He just came on and instantly <laughs> changed the game. Um, this is Man City now, right? I think Bernardo Silva mm. was fantastic. A great goal. All five all five yeah. goals in this game, we have to say, were incredible. Fantastic, yeah. um, but Kevin De Bruyne coming on, it, it was the game changer, wasn't it? It was. It was. And uh, we have to also add to that mix that we've got Haaland due at the end of January. So he'd be ready for uh, a prime De Bruyne <laughs> to feed him like a lot of service and get on the end of things. And that's what he's been missing, hasn't he, up mm-hmm. until this point. So... Yeah, it's going to be scary for everyone else. Um, and it's just at the right time for Man City. Man City seem to progress second half of the season, don't they? They seem to know the momentum. They know what they've got to chase. So they just get on with the mission that they have to do. But it's interesting how they've managed to get players like Phil Bob, for example, to now really excel in the position that he's doing. I mean, up until a year ago, I suspect none of us really knew the ability of that kid. But I'm led to believe he is kind of highly thought of by Pep as well, you know, he just needed a chance. And I think he's been deliberately biding his time. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's done really well, especially with that kind of finish. I think you have the to one, give a lot two of credit touch to, to what he did there. Insane. It was incredible. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, It's just another, it's just one of those things where I was like, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Oh, he's world-class. Fantastic. Right, of good. Of <laughs> just, just like when you see a new player turn up for Brazil or something. Oh, here's another one. Right, where, how do they keep doing <laughs> yeah. this? Um but yeah, incredible for Man City. Um, that now puts them three points above Arsenal and two points behind Liverpool. They're firmly back. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they get on from here. But we're going to finish in the Premier League very quickly with the relegation battles. Now, it's not the game that everyone would have watched. Um, not if you you know valued your time or sanity. But Burnley <laughs> won, Luton Town won. Um, but what did I say, Adam? I said Burnley would be winning. Or they they they'd be in the game, then they concede right at the end, and mm. that's what happened. Yeah. But the controversy here was about the Colton Morris goal. Was it a foul on Old Trafford? On Old Trafford? On James Trafford? Well, um, yeah. Before we get there, have you seen the Luton video on TikTok? Taking the Amazing. piss out of it. <laughs> it's Unbelievable. So <laughs> it's so good. I absolutely love it when clubs get involved in that shit. But um, Adam, I'm going to go to you first. Was it a foul? No. No, no, I don't think it was a foul. I know a lot of people might kind of go, mm, I'm not too sure about that, Adam. But I generally, as a thinking from a defender kind of point of view, I'd be pissed off if my goalkeeper came all the way out and then didn't actually get his hands onto it. Yeah. I mean, I've Ben will know, I've got a really bad goalkeeper at Wicker Wanderers who uh, <laughs> did a clanger a few months ago. And we were like, oh, that was what the fuck is going through your head there? But this was, I think, to a degree, this was actually worse because you're like, right, you come quite a distance away. Like, defenders expecting you to claim that. 
and for him to kind of just you know it wasn't even really much in it it was like kind of he got his ass in the way to kind of make sure he disrupted it and Carlton Morris has an easy kind of mm-hmm. tap in or knock it into the net so yeah I'd be pissed off with my goalkeeper personally yeah do you agree Ben yeah completely agree wholeheartedly I, it's one of those ones where obviously goalkeepers get well the kind of perceived uh, argument is that goalkeepers get far too much protection which I kind of agree with and we, the, the irony is that obviously if you come in those situations just you have to make sure you come and get it and it was way too soft because because of the fact that goalkeepers get so much protection how many examples have we seen from keepers where they come get the ball and then completely wipe out the striker obviously mm-hmm. you saw a Nana at the start of the season mm-hmm. which yeah, in yeah, my yeah. opinion definitely was a penalty for Wolves yeah. but the fact that that's not perceived to be a foul shows how how much protection you have even more. Like the slightest touch on you, you're expecting a foul, but also on the same token, you can kind of come and just take everything with you if you want to come and claim a cross in a crowded penalty area. It's sort of fine for you to, you know, knock a strike. If it was the other way around and he comes and gets it and he knocks Carlton Morris over or whoever, or whoever it was that won the flick on, mm-hmm. then it probably wouldn't be a penalty. So you've got you've got far more kind of license and room to take a risk as a keeper in that situation, which is why it was so disappointing how mm. kind of softly he handled it and why it was actually a relief that the goal was given. I think obviously company came out after the game and sort of was just like, <laughs> it's almost in beggar's belief that it, it wasn't Tyson, given. Wasn't it? Foul. And it was just yeah. like, really? Like I get that you want to be defensive of your players, but, and that's why, like you said, the Luton video on TikTok is amazing. Because oh, James Trafford, <laughs> and I like James Trafford. I was very skeptical of him at the start of the season. Yeah, I yeah. was I didn't I didn't really rate him. But he's put some really decent performances in, in the last few weeks. Liverpool, he was fantastic in that game. So I think it's just disappointing for a keeper like that who's kind of on that upward trajectory to do something like that. Because and also if you kind of want to continually waste time throughout the game and then feel that you should be protected in a moment that was incredibly soft. I saw, of course, ref watch. Had their say on Sky Sports this morning. <laughs> Dermot Gallagher thought it was a foul, apparently, which was uh, just like... Of course he does, yeah. Of course he does. But, which is ironic, because he usually goes with everything the referee says, but this time, <laughs> it wasn't the case. It was just like, what are you talking about? But no, definitely not a foul for me. Just be yeah. stronger, do better. Just no, exactly. Better. I think your, goal, your goalkeeper has to be stronger there. I mean, like, I know it's not an excuse, but what you expect from Luton is physicality at set pieces. Yeah. And if you're not prepared yeah. to deal with that physicality, then you've not prepared properly because no. that's how they got three goals against Arsenal or whatever it was. It was just we couldn't yeah. deal with their physicality. So I think it's, um, yeah, really, really poor from Burnley and from Trafford. Um, I kind of held it against him that that Fogden is obsessed with him, but he is actually oh, a very good kid, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, that's. The, I think that's where my bias came from as well. Like, <laughs> it's not fair on him, is it really? Odd, but yeah. I did hold. I did hold it against him. Um, elsewhere in the Premier League, very quickly, Unai Emery got his first ever nil-nil um, in Premier League. Um, yeah, history. Unfortunately, it was yeah. on TV. Um, they should have avoided that one. Um, and yeah. Chelsea beat Fulham. This was your bloody chance. Um, Chelsea beat Fulham one 0 Some fantastic, beautiful play from Cole Palmer to before the penalty was won. He really is the one bright spark in their season, is he? He is a fantastic player. Um, but we're going to move on from the Premier League there, and we're going to go to Serie A, and there's only one place to start. They are leading the table, and they're putting on a show. It is Inter Milan. They head towards Monza, a tough place to go. There was a great mm. video. I was trying to share it on Instagram. 
all the um, Inter Ultras took their mopeds and flares to Monza because it's only about a half an hour drive. Um, and they were all running up the motorway. It looked incredible. Um, and their players treated them um, to a show as they put yeah. five past Monza. Um, Adam, your favorite goal? I think the Taram to Mikatarian is my favorite. Yeah, so you took Chalanoglu, where Chalanoglu, sorry, Chalanoglu, yes. The Mikitarian's running to it, and then, yeah, Turam superbly almost does that uh, Guti esque kind of assist, doesn't he? Because it's right behind him, kind of plays it into the path of Chalanoglu, who just blasts it past the goalkeeper. Um, yeah, what a game. It was just all about clinical edge from Inter, and I think. The goal margin slightly flattered them. I think I'm not too sure mm-hmm. if the Fratesi penalty is necessarily a penalty. Yeah. But equally, the Monza penalty that Danny Motta goes down for isn't really a penalty either. So mm-hmm. it kind of equals itself out. But I think uh, it was interesting to see, uh, I think the Costa Curta kind of quotes in the week where he kind of uh, instigated that Chalanoglu is probably one of the best players in Europe in terms of in his position and it really pissed off the Milan face. Can you um, imagine? A legend of Milan <laughs> rating an interplayer. That's just a no-no, right? And not, um, not just any interplayer, Chalanoglu. Yeah, play that really across the cities. Yeah, exactly. Incredible. Um, but I had to pull this stat out, Rui. Um, so Turam has contributed 18 goals in 20 games in all competitions. In total, 20 in 27 games. And Lataro has 18 Serie A goals and rocks up with two assists for the club so far. So brilliant season for the two. And I think there could be an argument to say, are these two the most deadly duo in terms of a strike partnership? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm struggling to think of a more modern kind of duo that has managed to strike up such a partnership together i think we're probably having to look through the archives i might be mistaken but yeah i mean ben's probably yeah. going to say son and kane but i don't know yeah, i was um, gonna say i've got one yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair i think this season definitely because i think yeah. to have two up front isn't particularly common now anyway is it but i think yeah the between the two of them i'm going to follow your stat up as well adam of the eight mm. Top um, goal-creating action leaders in Serie A, classic Serie A stat. Out of the eight, four of them play for Inti. So you've got Taram on 15, uh, yeah. Mkhitaryan on 14, Barella on 12, and Martinez on 10. So they're just dominating the creative charts across the league as well. And you can yeah. see that when they click, this is what happens. Like they yeah. just blow teams away, regardless of what the rest of the, the yeah. performance says. And I think we talked about the last game maybe being a wake-up call for Inter. They took their foot off the gas a bit. They got away with it. But mm. it looks like it was a wake-up call. Um, it looks like it really was. And they absolutely put Monza to the sword. As you said, Monza, not an easy place to go. The Taram goal as well, the the angle, there's an angle from behind the goal when you see Calderola just fly past him and you think he's going to go for the far post, but he sticks it near post and does the keeper as well. And it's just, Ben, what a goal. The guy is a, a free signing. He was free. Yeah, that's probably the best bit of business of the summer, surely, yeah, in terms yeah, of what he's... Not just been able to contribute on his own, but like you said, the partnership that he's kind of struck up with Martinez. Obviously, they're very different in terms of what they bring to Inter. Obviously, Taram's got a bit more of that physical presence. Obviously, he's a bit more, I guess, like with his physical profile, he's kind of that sort of almost like, not. I was going to say lanky, that's the wrong word, but he's like, (laughs) yeah, he's kind of brings a lot, like brings a lot of that side of his game. He's got a brilliant stride. The way he just sat the defender down, 
and just like you said, gave the keeper the eyes and put it in the other corner. It was the same as like, that's why I love that. I think it was the third goal, the one you mentioned before, um, yeah. with Taram's back heel. I love it when a either a midfielder or a striker in that situation gives the keeper the eyes and puts it in the other corner, where he just whips it back across into the far corner. I love that kind of finish. But his back heel for that goal, his link-up play, his finishing ability, everything that he's brought to Inter is just that's what's made them the favourites for mm-hmm. this title. And like I said, obviously, like we've all said, kind of the, the partnership and relationship that he struck up with uh, Latore Martinez as well has just been just been mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and Inter just look a real, real force. And like I said, I've been saying it ever since we've been doing this. It's just like, I feel like people, in the, when it comes to the Champions League, they could be two real difference makers. I'm not saying they're going to go all the yeah. way, but people are very much underestimating them as kind of almost putting them in that group of just like, yeah, they don't really belong with... City, yeah. Arsenal, Madrid, Bayern, whoever it is, but they very, very much do. And I think mm-hmm. it'll be very interesting to see how they get on. But again, yeah, a f- five-star performance and brilliant goals. And they are really, really a threat. They are they are incredible to watch at times. Like that attacking line is just incredible. Um, Adam, the fixtures coming up now, they've got their chance of their first silverware of the season. They've got the Supercoppa coming up against Lazio, the semi-final. Then they've got a bit of a tricky run of games. They've got Fiorentina mm. away, a huge one, Juve at home, and then Roma yeah. away. Now, Roma we're going to talk about, but Roma away could be tricky. Do you think this is a real period now for Inter to stamp their authority on this title charge? If they get through that, then really they're in the driving seat. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, and Zaki's kind of played it quite well up until this point. And, you know, I think he's used the players right at the right times as well because he's kind of tried to encourage that rotation as well, which... I think he got criticised for the previous few seasons where he's not been able to do that amount of rotation. Um, the fact that we haven't seen the best of David Fratesi, for example, mm. we started to see a bit of that in the last few games, for example. Aslani, I don't think, has been utilised that much, mm-hmm. so I, I expect him to come to the fold. I would not be surprised if they deliberately go with a second-string side against Lazio in the Coppa mm-hmm. Italia, or um, Supercoppa, should I say, yeah, even. Yeah. And obviously then play it in terms of the kind of importance of the games, because, you know, we haven't seen Alexis Sanchez, for example, being utilised, for example. Arnautovic is probably going to be playing in this soccer conference because at least he can miss on the <laughs> bigger stages. Right? It's a body on the pitch, I suppose. <laughs> like, is, that's the is. only positive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, unlike previous years, they want this Scudetto. They want yeah, to yeah. win this title. And, you know, I think they're all getting themselves into that position for Juventus. They're just hoping that Juventus can drop some more points between now and then. Because going into that match, you know, you want to be in prime position where you can have the bragging rights as well as then going into that match with full of confidence. So that's going to be very important. But you've rightly alluded to, we've got Champions League as well. I think they're they're really in a good position for that as well. So hopefully no more injuries for Inter and we we never know. It could be a double, could be even more. We'll see. And they have brought in Buchanan. We've not really seen much of him yet, but yes. it'll be interesting to see how he comes in. Like we're in the World yeah. Cup for Canada, he was a player that was super exciting to watch, really direct, really tricky, yeah. like very, very exciting. I'll be intrigued to see how he gets played in this system and if he's he could be a really, really good option off the bench. Like yeah. that kind of, uh, maybe it's an, uh, a bit harsh on Buchanan, but like kind of Chukweze vibe player at Milan, yeah. but maybe hopefully with a bit more end product for Inter fans. <laughs> um, but a real wild card off the bench. So it'll be interesting to see how he is used as well. And I'm sure Inter's business isn't done. 
although it seems like they're focusing on Jelinski, it seems like it's inching closer and closer yes. in the summer. Some are saying it's already done. Um, Beppe Marotta mm. has been very quiet, but it looks like it's kind of getting done now. Um, so a fantastic win for Inter. We're going to leave that one there, and we're going to stay in Milan, I think, and let's talk about Milan impress, kind of, as they beat <laughs> Roma, a the tamest Roma I've seen in a very long time. Oh. Um, if it wasn't for Calabria's... Um, Calabria? Yeah, Calabria's yes, um, Calabria. mistake for the penalty. Roma never even had a sniff of this. I think there was 10 minutes after the penalty yeah. where they kind of looked dangerous, if you're being polite. But Milan cruised through this game, Adam, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, straightforward for them, to be fair. And I think it was the amount of space that they were afforded, in particular, the kind of in the middle of the pitch where Pulisic with Giroud in the hold-up play were able to kind of do the kind of one-twos and were able to then create that space for the likes of Yasin Adli, for example. And obviously with Liao permanently fixed on that kind of left-hand side, it just created havoc for Roma. I mean, in the first 10 minutes, you could see what the game plan was, which was get as many people behind the ball and just make sure you, you didn't give them much of an opportunity. But after about five minutes, they were kind of being pulled apart. And it was just like, at some points, you had really narrow midfielders like Brian Costante, who were further up the pitch. And then the ball is in their half, you know, they're in their final third. So Roma really struggled to get to grips with whatever plan they had, because you could see Mourinho, he was getting grey and greyer by the minute, as you could see in the stands. But it was just a terrible performance. Lukaku could not get himself into the game. And when he did have like shots, he really skewed them or just had no control over the ball at times. And it was just typical Lukaku. Lukaku just cannot seem to get anything right. Um, it was an interesting kind of lineup as well. El Shirari beside him as well. I didn't necessarily, I don't really rate El Shirari. I think his days have gone, but yeah, it's interesting the talks after this match, obviously, about Mourinho, whether he's going to be there or not. It's fascinating to see this because obviously he's coming to the end of his contract. So his three years are up now. So whether he gets an extension is another question. But for Milan, very positive performance. It puts them into the shot of being at least chasing the likes of Juventus and Inter right now. Obviously, there's still some distance away in terms of that points tally. Um, but I suppose they can grasp on the fact that Juventus are within touching distance if they mm -hmm. can get a few results over them. So I suppose going into that intermatch, that's going to be quite key. Um, they're obviously looking to have a bit more confidence as well. That's what I felt. Um, but Pioli seems to be rotating players as well. So he seemingly understood that he needs to rotate his players. But there's that scepticism about his play. I think at times it looks like they're fortunate, but... On this occasion, they weren't fortunate. They just were better than Roma. They had the quality on the pitch and that really told. So, I mean, when you've got players like Teo that can blast it for that third one what? in particular, okay. I mean, that was just yeah. incredible here. So, look, they've got the quality within that squad. They just now, the fact that they're not in the Champions League, Rory, helps them out, I think, mm -hmm. potentially. And let's see what they can do for the second half of the season. There's still talk about a lot of players coming through the door. So, you know, Terracciano seems to be pretty much set from Hellas we've been waiting for that one to be confirmed yeah it hasn't been yeah, confirmed yeah. yet but there's been rumors of other defenders being mm -hmm. outed now and i think it all depends on who they can move on because i think that's yeah. the other thing another just i know i always talk about him but ryan does really pisses me off he's just well, Adam, stop the i wanted there. to say to you he's second in the chances created in the league is ow, ryan does. Ow. he's uh no sorry third he's 13 um 13 chances created 
he's third behind Tarama Mikatarian. I think, honestly, I think when he's good, he's good. And when he's bad, he's just really anonymous. But I, I think I've seen him on a few games where I think, oh, he's all right. But I'm, I want to beat the drum for Yasin Adley. Yes. I think he's played very well since he's come in for Milan. And all I can read is stories of him being sold. Milan can't wait to get him out the door. Yeah. They're desperate to get rid of him. And I'm thinking, eh, you're going to regret selling this guy. I think whoever yeah. you sell him to next, he's going, he's going to be very good for. I think like in this, not only the goal this game, but there's been a few a few um, occasions and a few games I've seen him where his ability like to dribble and keep the ball, retain possession, yeah. find a pass... He, he runs forever. I think, like, he's an all-round very good midfielder. It's his intelligence. He's got... That's yeah. why there was comparisons about him being, like, a Zidane-esque player. Because mm-hmm. at a young age, he could do that. And you saw that for the first goal. Look, there's mindful of, like, loads of players in front of him. But he still manages to craft the ball past the goalkeeper, past these bodies that are lunging in to stop the ball going through. He's such a technically gifted player that he mm-hmm. just needs game time. And that's the frustrating yeah. bit with Pioli. I'm, I can't believe he's being kind of not used sparingly. I mean, he needs to be played a lot more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you say, I'm, I'm much on your kind of bandwagon. He needs to be playing a lot more often for Milan. I'm sure Milan fans are shouting the same, to be fair, Rory. <laughs> Like, and I, I know the club's like in desperate need of money, like most clubs are now, and they're looking at who's a sellable asset and who's a realistic sellable yeah. asset. Maybe he's one of them. I think players like Teo are never going to leave, really. Clubs would have come in before for him before if he was even yeah. slightly available, I think. So, yeah, maybe he's one of the few that's not actually a sellable asset. But the other moment that really stood out here, and Ben, I don't know if you saw it, was Yunus Musa turning into, um, well, turning into Teo Hernandez, really, just running around everyone, bounces it off the bar. If that had gone in, it would have been the greatest goals of the season. Unbelievable moment. But he's a player as well who I think has really stood out for Milan. Um but they're also bringing in a lot of young players, which is good. There's a lot of young players coming yep. off. Jimenez and um, Zeroli both coming off the bench here. So encouraging signs for Milan. But Ben, I'm going to go to you. Roma, Lukaku, uninspiring. When he's bad, he's very, very bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. He kind of... He, I don't think I've ever seen known a striker to offer so much yet so little in terms of what he can bring. Like the disparity between what he can do and what he can't do is just like, it's never been bigger now. Like mm-hmm. he's a, he's kind of a bit of, obviously we talked about United earlier, he's kind of indicative of what they are and what they were, what they were when he was there, kind of a moment player. And when he's great, he's red hot, but when he's poor, he's just, it's like playing with 10 men. Yeah. And he's kind of, I don't think there's maybe, more of a player that sort of sums up the mess maybe Roma are in at the moment than him. Obviously, he talks about El Shawari is kind of coming to the end, really, of his kind of time at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, they've still got some decent players there, but like you think of the likes of maybe like Spinozola, Paredes as well, like how long will they actually kind of stick around at Roma if this kind of situation under Jose mm-hmm. just continues to be just an absolute mess? But Lukaku just like, it's just, like I said, it's just sometimes it's like playing with 10 men. He would drive me insane. Yeah. If, he, if that was my team. Yesterday, it was how he was constantly caught offside. He's just not got that issue. He's just that, just that extra yard of just keeping yourself onside, just yeah, yeah, pulling yeah. yourself back <laughs> on and not just putting in that little bit more, mate. And like, yeah. and then when he was offside, there was that chance towards the end where he's offside, he turns around, it's one-on-one, and he just mm. absolutely roofs it, just straight over, like third tier of San Siro. And you think, you just are not interested, are you, mate? You've got no interest no. here, and you're just literally 
just taking up space, just taking up space. I thought it was a really, really frustrating performance from him. You, it's funny you mentioned Spinazzola because it looks like Roma are trying to sell him now. Mm. I think that's yeah. probably because he's a youth product. I think that's for FFP, it, it yeah. would be really, really good to get him out the door. Obviously, and he's, he's actually got, worth something as well. He, he worth is like. worth something. He, <laughs> he does have his injury issues. Like He yeah. very rarely sees a whole season, but I think there's plenty of teams that could definitely remember him at the Euros. Yeah. Oh my God. Fantastic. If you can get him back to that, then there's definitely a player there. But for Roma, it looks like... The funny thing is that for once or for a long time, or for what feels like in a long time, they've got ambitious owners. Like, their owners are actually wanting to get them to Scudetto challenges and wanting to push that extra bit more. So I think that definitely spells the end for Mourinho, really, because they can see that he's taken them as far as as he can, and he's not a manager who can do things on a shoestring, right? You need a manager no. who can do things on a shoestring and that's definitely, <laughs> definitely not him. So that should, or that, yeah, that should spell the end for Jose and I think Roma fans won't be too upset about it. But it would be classic Jose to win the Europa League and, and earn another two-year <laughs> contract. I could definitely, definitely see it happening. Um, elsewhere yeah. in Serie A, let's go for Napoli. Um <laughs> <laughs> that was close. Um, they really, really left it to the very end. It looked like Salernitana were going to get a result. Adam, you referenced it in our group chat. Kandreva only scores bangers. What <laughs> I think that goal for me put him in the Qualiarella level of like you know you just in ten years you're going to sit down and watch yeah. his highlight reel and be like let's just watch his goals. Every single one is a screamer. And do you know what? I think people will forget what a talent he's been as well. Like they will just forget that he is in Serie A playing for these shit teams like Salernitana and still doing it. So, I mean, he's had a a really good career. Obviously, he's been at Inter Milan as well, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it just amazes me the quality of the guy that he can still pull it, even at his latter ages as well. Like, we're talking about a guy that's, yeah, Yeah, 37, 38. Wow. And he's able to pull that off. It's just incredible. He's got such vision as well because in this match, he threaded a few balls. If Salantana had a finisher up top, it could be a different story. And do you know what? It's a typical story of Napoli where they really <laughs> did struggle. They really yeah. did struggle. If it wasn't for that penalty from Politano. It gives them a way back into mm-hmm. the match. And, you know, okay, there was a lot made of Faratskelia trying his best and struggling in this game. And that's understandable. But it's all about how Napoli are playing at the moment. And, you know, this monkey off their chest now is basically, look, they've been able to get a win. More importantly, they've been able to score, Rory, because in the last yeah, five yeah. games, they've not been able to score a single goal. So the fact that they've managed to squeeze this late winner from Rahmani as well, and that was fortuitous as well. It was so lucky. It was so lucky. Ball into yeah, the box. Yeah. It's lost by Akoa as well. And then defenders can't kind of clear it. And... Oh, such heartache for Salantana because yeah. they don't. We do it. have to say, right? Ochoa had an incredible game as well. He made yeah. so many good saves. I think there was a save from, was it from Kvaratsky? No, it was from Simeone, maybe. Simeone, that was unbelievable. Yeah. Such a great save. Um, Simeone was diving all over the place. He was definitely his father's son. Like you can see a lot of that in his play. Um, <laughs> but it was a it was a great moment for Rahmani, a great moment for the Napoli fans, a big sigh of yeah. relief. Um, but Salernitana is weird. I was watching Cape Verde yesterday, um, as I'm as, as is my want, and Cabral was absolutely fantastic for them. Um, and I thought, I'm man, Salernitana are missing both him and Deer at the moment away from AFCON, like yeah. two massive players missing for them. Um, but Adam, they are showing a bit more fight, Salernitana. I know they're bottom and I know they're yes. having a terrible season, but they look better than Empoli. 
maybe well, better yeah. Yeah. than I, I think we Verona. spoke about this offline. Look, when it comes to it, it looks like they're making some promising signs in terms of the marketplace right now. So they, mm-hmm. today it's been confirmed that Tomo Basic from Lazio has been confirmed on loan to the end of the season. So that really helps them in terms of that depth. You can see Inzaghi's definitely identified that they need to get some quality players. Not like David Nicola, who we'll yeah. allude to in a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah more about him yeah he yeah, was yeah. getting bodies in rather than talking about necessarily and i think he's definitely an upgrade on his um paulo soso already it seems mm-hmm. like inzaghi's trying to instill something into salonatana yeah. so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to pull off a few more moves um but yeah i on the balance of it if we talk about the empoli and obviously hellas clash yeah this this really does set us up for some interesting kind of talk because that relegation battle is not just those three sides. It it's the is, clubs above them as well. It is tight. So Sassuolo in 14th are on 19 points and Verona are in 18th are on 17. So 18th to 14th separated by two points. Even Lecce are only on 21 now. Yeah, Lecce exactly. we think should be good yeah. enough, but that is four points separating nearly half the table. It's incredible. So I think... Yeah, it's going to be very, very tight. Frosinone are currently getting pumped 4-0 by Atalanta now. So they are not looking like they're going to get up to much. That's five games without a win now for them. They started so well as well. Um, But if we go to Empoli-Verona, the only thing I could say about this game was that by the end of it, you couldn't watch it, and that was probably a blessing. Um, I don't know whether it was fog or flares, but it was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but it was incredible, right? It was insane. I can't believe they didn't call it off. Um, Jurich with the header. Um, yep. it, it did go over the line. It looked tight, but it yep. did go over the line. Um, but Verona, again, showing a little bit of quality, getting the points, but Empoli looked bang, bang in trouble. Um, Shukovsky got the goal, Adam. Yes, he did. But yeah. they're still, they're, they're only going one way, aren't they, Empoli? At this moment in time, when you look at their fixture list as well, it's not really promising for them. I was looking at this up earlier, Rory, but if you talk about the style of play, obviously it didn't look inspiring. Andrazoli hasn't been able to turn it around after they kind of got rid of Palas and Metti. And yeah, it's looking quite desperate at the moment. So I'm just bringing up the fixture list as we speak now. The next game is at home to Monza. Then they're away to Juventus before home game against Genoa. And then a big match where they're away to Salernitana. So the next five games, Rory, they've got mm-hmm. to pick up, I would say, a minimum of like six points. I don't know if you're necessarily picking that up. I think you're struggling no. there because you're relying on maybe one of those games. And those teams aren't necessarily bad uh, i mean if juventus failed to pick up a point against them then that's that's gonna be some some match but mm-hmm. all i would say is look uh tomaso baldanzi was coming back into this match i think we haven't seen the best of him as you rightly allude to shimon shurkovsky was bought in before this match manages to get a goal in this match after a great kind of cross from berezinski the right back as mm-hmm. well so, look, there is some promising signs in the sense that, you know, Empoli have got some good players. However, they need quality. They need someone that can attack. Look, prior to this match, they'd only scored 10 goals. That shows you what the issue is right now. They're the lowest scoring side in Serie A. So, they really need someone that knows how to get the ball in the back of the net. But I think it's creatively. That's what they're missing. So, Yes, let's break the news. David Nicola is now David the manager Nicola of Empoli. Incredible. This guy 
back. If you haven't seen it, Ben, you'll just have to do a quick research. But this guy got reemployed by Salernitana twice in one season. So, uh, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, within 24 hours, he got sacked <laughs> and then rehired within you 24 hours. It. You spoiled it, Rory. Why did you do that? You should have <laughs> let him do the research. Yeah, that's mad. I do feel like I remember seeing it, but that is nuts. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's the most Serie A thing, isn't classic, it? Classic, absolutely classic Serie A. Just a chairman who's absolutely thrown his dummy out and then gone, oh crap, my, my little black book's <laughs> empty. I need to make yeah. a fairly humble phone call at this point. Yeah. Um, Remember that conversation we had earlier? <laughs> just I was drunk. Well, he's back to save the day for Empoli. Look, he kept Salernitana up. He did keep Salernitana up, so you have to give him credit. Um, but I don't know if he's the man that's going to be inspiring um, hope amongst Empoli fans. But I also have to say, with Empoli, this is kind of what they do. They get promoted. They hang around for a few seasons. They have some pretty exciting players. Those exciting players get sold, and then they go down, and they just rinse and repeat. Like, this is the club that Verratti came through. Like, a lot of, like, big-name Serie A players have come through Empoli. Yeah, um, yeah Exactly. So I think this is yeah. kind of what they do. So I think it's unfortunate, but when you lose players like Parisi or like players that were so key to them last year, I think obviously Baldanzi is going to be the next one as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate for Empoli, but it's not looking like it's going to be a fun end to the season. Those next four games are absolutely huge. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they go elsewhere before we finish in Serie A and do a bit of transfer nonsense. We need to talk about... Cagliari and Bologna. Um, Cagliari get a huge win against Bologna. Bologna's season starting to fade, Adam. It looks like they've hit a bit of a bump mm. now. Yeah, I think it's coincided with Xerxes not being part mm. of the squad as well, to be fair. So, who was missing for this particular match? And, you know, they were very unlucky. You know, Ossolini was the kind of sole threat alongside Urbanski. And Urbanski had a really good game. It has to be said, I was looking back at the highlights and he's very unfortunate. I'm hoping Poland called him up very soon. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, Orsolini back in the squad. That's definitely a promising sign for Bologna. But yeah, it does feel like they've fallen off a bit of late. You know, the fact that Lazio are now within the kind of a shot through of being now in that those positions is just frustrating isn't it it's frustrating and Skorupski as well I think he lets uh, the first yeah. goal go far too easily so I think he's culpable and that's probably explains why he was dropped more recently mm -hmm. as well um, but yeah I mean we knew at some point it would happen for Bologna they don't have the strength and depth yeah. in that respect um, so but yeah Calgary we've got to hand it to them hell Good of a performance win. and hell of a win and mm -hmm. you know they're not the most fancy side in Serie A let's put it that way you know unless you're in sicily not many people outside of sicily really appreciate calgary yeah. and you know it's a horrible Ranieri place to go is doing an incredible job as well in fairness you know i thought he would struggle because they haven't been able to attract many players mm -hmm. but he's done an superb job patania i know he's obviously the what, <laughs> what bit a of a joke when it comes to it but He's scoring what goals as well. So what a player! It just—it's every time I see him, it just reminds me of that fantastic Paddy Power tweet about him. Like, there's a there's a Sunday League footballer in every town in Ireland who looks exactly like Andrea Patani. <laughs> he's just incredible. He's uh, he's unbelievable. He's an elite athlete. It is amazing. Um, but yeah, Patania getting the goal and the Calafiori own goal. I'm very disappointed I bought Skorupski in my fantasy now because his season is really <laughs> nosedive. Um, but to finish off in Serie A, we do need to very quickly, very quickly say 
Lazio. Um, the title charge is back on, Adam. <clears throat> they are back <laughs> on the run. They are within touching distance of the top four. Um, they're one point behind Florentina. Like, all I'm saying is it's not over yet. It's not over till it's over. Sadi has turned it round. <laughs> is turning it round. So we shall see. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll get the last laugh. Um, and elsewhere, Fiorentina two, Udinese two. Of course, Udinese draw. That's what they do. They were winning, but they thought, no, wait, 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 wait. This isn't right. And they gave this a goal away right. right at the end. <laughs> we can't do this. Um, that now takes them to this number is going to be hilarious. Um, 12 draws this season for Udinese. They are only in relegation trouble because they cannot get an extra goal. Ever. They can't win a game. It's just, they've only lost six. Every other team around them is in double figures for losses. It's mental. Imagine being a fan of theirs going, this is the day we're going to get a win, and then it doesn't happen again. More goal, boys. Please, just one more goal. Well, it wasn't to be. They did draw, um, and Anzola scored a penalty for Fiorentina. It felt like, you know when Arsenal gave Havertz that penalty out of pity? It felt like that with Anzola. It was like, oh, yeah, mate, just have one and see if it does anything, because he's really not done much this year. But... um, Let's do quickly before we finish a bit of transfer business. Um, Adam, in Serie A, what have the stories been transfer wise? Yeah, it's starting to pick up of late, and um, probably because we're coming to that period of the month, aren't we? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think the most notable ones uh, Raddy Krunic leaving AC Milan to Fenerbahce on loan, it's likely to be turned into a permanent. So, that's Definitely one that I think will be a miss to um, Serie A because I think there was a few clubs after him. It was mm-hmm. interesting to see that didn't come to anything more than just uh, some permanent stay in Italy. But yeah, that's what's happened. Marco Ferroni, we, we forgot to talk about Hellas Verona and their policy, mm-hmm. but he's moved to uh, Fiorentina on loan. So that's an um, interesting move for both Fiorentina and Hellas. And that's not the only link because uh, Engog or Engog, however way you pronounce it, Ciro Engog from Hellas Verona is linked with a move to Fiorentina. It's believed today that he is set to agree terms. So we should see that imminent. Um, Interestingly, Barak has been linked with a move from Fiorentina to Napoli, but apparently that's been rebuffed by uh, Fiorentina. But I suspect that's down to players, Rory. I think it's mm-hmm. down to whether they can shift certain players or players coming in as well. Um, so they were the main shouts. Obviously, we've got uh, Jallo as well from Lille is set to uh, leave Lille for Juventus. And it's a question mark whether it'll be in this window or whether it'll be in the mm-hmm. summer. So that's uh, going to be a 3.6 million signing, which sounds really dirt wow. cheap. But basically, the fact is, it's not a transfer, which I think Lille probably mm-hmm. prefer if that's the case. Okay. Um, but the other one that was confirmed today for Juventus and made me think, right, this is the Juventus of old in terms of their strategy. Felipe Anderson apparently has agreed a pre-contract agreement with Shit. Juventus. So that means it's a free transfer from Lazio to Juve. Um, apparently they offered him better wage so that that makes sense. Um, I hope he and, likes yeah. death threats because that's what he's going to get <laughs> joining Juventus on a free. <laughs> Jesus, and brave man and mix. playing left back and yeah, playing left and back playing for Allegri. Back, of course, yeah. of course. Um, um, ben, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot, but with the Premier League, all the chat has been FFP chat. Um, mm, it looks like Everton yeah. and Forest are in trouble again. Why yeah. are the Premier League only picking on the lower league teams? It's a mystery. It's so bizarre, isn't it? Like, obviously, it's been a bit of a damning day for Everton and Forest reading this. There was a lot of talk about Wolves last week about mm-hmm. they kind of could have potentially found yeah. themselves. 
caught up in this, but I think they managed to get a few players out the door in the window that kind of made them all right. Everton, I just, again, like, it's sort of, obviously, I remember we talked about it at the time when it when Everton were first kind of charged. Um, and it almost felt like you have to, There obviously, there is a point where you kind of have to strip the whole City and Chelsea thing away from it. And you do kind of have to look at Everton and think how badly they've been mismanaged and run. And I, I have sort of, caught a bit of a sense from some of the Everton fans that I sort of follow on Twitter and whatever that this time around it's almost like their frustration isn't necessarily as much at the Premier League in terms of like why are you picking on them not us it's more about just like how have we got in this situation Mm -hmm. Um, Forest I'm not sure but it feels maybe feels similar as well but I think both teams have kind of got a right to feel a little bit like, well, what about, you know, there's always going to be finger pointing in situations like these because you're dealing with so much money and obviously there's so much on the line. Because Everton, I mean, when they first got deducted 10 points, that was kind of just as they started their upward curve and we all thought, oh, they'll be fine. They'll they'll be all right. Mm -hmm. But if they got, there's talk about further six-point deduction potentially. I was looking at the table last season and I was trying to sort of work out like where, if they finished almost where they're supposed to, without the points deductions, totally and potentially 16, like, could that see them go down? And if they if they sort of carry on the run that they... If, if you take the 10 points deduction away, if they sort of carry on what they've been doing and where they should technically be, they would finish about 11th or 12th. And 11th last season, I think, was Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. And I think I looked at it and sort of, this isn't necessarily the best way to do it, but I was like, what if you took 16 points off of them last year? Where would that put them? And they would have gone down. Yeah. So it just shows you that like this could really be damning forever, really be detrimental to their season. Even if you know they do, um, they do kind of carry on. Like they're on still very decent form. They had yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. of defeats against Tottenham, and uh, there was one more around Christmas as well. But I can't remember who it was. Obviously, good point for them yesterday. Yeah. And like we said at the time, I mean, I don't think they've got a man- a better manager and almost better fan base to kind of rally around this situation, rally around the team and the group to kind of get them over the line. But mm. a 16-point deficit would be incredibly challenging That's- to kind of overcome, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't think many teams are getting beyond. Like, I know Luton, Sheffield United and Burnley are bad, but they're not that bad. Um, I think it would be very, very difficult to get to get around that. Um, the only other stories really at the moment are, for some reason, Ajax are after Jordan Henderson. I'm trying to figure that one out, but it looks like it's getting closer and closer. Um, and Phillips, the talk is increasing around um, Calvin Phillips at Man City. Yeah. Um, four Premier League clubs linked to him and Juventus. Um, I would love to see him in Serie A. I really hope he gets the move um, and his career gets back on track. Yeah. Um, but do we know who the Premier League... Spurs were linked to him, right? Spurs were one of them. Spurs yeah. were, but I think it's kind of one of our, you know, fairly well reliable journalists to sort of put a bit of water on the flames on that today. Just that that's nothing really happening there. It seems as if it's Palace, Newcastle... Uh, who was the other two teams? There was four teams. I saw it today, okay. and Juventus. It was pa- Palace and Newcastle. Definitely, obviously, Newcastle's interest has kind of been long-standing. Palace were definitely one of the teams, and there was a couple of other teams. Sniffing Palace around would be an interesting off. one. I would like yeah. to see mm. Calvin Phillips at Palace. I think that would yeah, be quite I would good. Well. I, I think any of those moves. I think I, yeah. I actually think in a funny way, I think Newcastle would be potentially mm. the worst move for him out of those. Mm. Out of yeah. those, I think go to like a, a Palace or. Go somewhere and kind of like become the main man, right? Become their big man. Brighton, Brighton, maybe. Brighton would be a good one. Even like Juventus, because it's like it's a, he might not go there and he's obviously not going to go there and be that, but it's also like 
go out of your comfort zone, go and try something new, all this kind of stuff. We've yeah. seen the benefits of English players going over to Serie A and to Germany. Obviously, like we mm. mentioned at the top of the show, Jaden Sancho going back and almost looking like a new player straight away. So yeah. sometimes these like foreign experiences for players can be can be really, really good, especially for English players. But I mean, it's been pretty, the whole, you know, it's kind of just been Tottenham sort of doing business really in the transfer yeah. window. Yeah, been kind of else doing it. I was just scrolling through the thing and I was like, nobody signed anyone. What's going on? No. Uh, the only thing I saw was Burnley's terrible. They've The, the, the streak is over. They've the, the, the Their announcement video for Fauna was just bizarre. I don't know if you saw yeah. it with the ET film. I feel like they yeah. just, I think they became yeah. too self-aware and ruined it. That's the only thing I've really seen. But anyway, guys, I think if we're talking about Burnley release videos, we've definitely run out of things to say. So we are going to leave it there for now. <laughs> I think. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, as always, um, hit the like and subscribe button. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram and TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. We'll be back on Friday with a pod to talk about something. I think there's midweek action. Afcon, so, watch Afcon. Um, yeah. There is some Copper Italia matches as well. I think this week. Um, so yeah, check your football app of choice. Ben, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me Ben Talks Football on TikTok and the same on Twitter as well, and popping up on various different Spurs kind of platforms and podcasts as well. So if you want to listen to me ramble about Tottenham, you know where to find me. Beautiful, Adam. Anything to say before we send these lovely people home? Might be doing a live this week on TikTok, Oof. so just keep your eye on the socials. I will try and to give my Serie A expertise. So we'll be hopefully nice. me and Andrea Fiorentina fan. We'll be hopefully talking about some Serie A. So, uh, yeah, if you fancy a bit more of a dose, join us there. Very nice. And I am going to be keeping you up to date with AFCON with daily videos, reviewing the action, talking about all the major talking points in the best continental competition in the world. God, I love AFCON. Thank you for joining us, guys. We will see you on Friday. Ciao. Arrivederci. Ciao, ciao. Podcast Network.